You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by SolarEdge. SolarEdge lets you drive your electric vehicle on solar power with the world's first two-in-one EV charging solar inverter. Run your EV on sunshine with SolarEdge. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of thedriven.io and also of Renew Economy. And um, we've been discussing over the last few weeks, done a, f- a couple of fantastic interviews with various people producing electric vehicles, two-wheelers, different sorts of business models about how they're thinking about electric vehicles and the transition. And one of the big questions is, what are the big energy utilities Um, thinking about electric vehicles and how it fits into their business because of course electric vehicles will need to be charged and also there's the opportunity for them to put things back into the grid. So today I've invited Dominic Vandenberg who is the General Manager of Distributed Energy for AGL. Dominic, thanks for joining the Driven Podcast. Thanks, Giles. Look, you gave a recent presentation. Um, actually, no, before we get into the presentation, I just sort of thought, well, you are the general manager of distributed energy at AGL. Exactly what does that mean? Yeah, it's a good question. I get asked that internally too, quite often. The way we think about distributed energy um, is essentially those assets that are behind the meter. Um, I'll talk more when we get into it, but if we're thinking about virtual power plants, behind the meter orchestration, Um, It's all in this bucket of distributed energy assets, and we've set up a team dedicated to look at how AGL will manage those assets, essentially. Because it's actually quite a new thing, isn't it? Because you only have to step back five years ago when really when you talked about utilities, it was all about centralised generation. It was a big coal-fired power stations or gas-fired power stations or even large renewable energy generators, wind and solar. Um, It was all in front of the meter. But now there's this big focus. Um, Utilities, not just in Australia but around the world, are having to think about distributed energy and behind the meter and how they actually deal with that. Yeah, I mean, no no question, this energy transition is well on its way. Um, I think distributed energy is the place we're going to see a large part of that energy transition come to the fore. Um, and around the world, yes, we're seeing it everywhere, but in Australia, we've seen a dramatic change in solar. Um, the fact that there's more solar on Australian rooftops than there is in the whole of the United States just shows how rapidly this uptake of distributed energy resources is happening. Um, if we imagine the same kind of volumes happening for, for solar, perhaps similar volumes coming through for electric vehicles, the whole dynamic changes from what used to be a very traditional um, generate user kind of gets what they get to now the user is both generating and using. Um, and like you say, that, that kind of two-way engagement with the grid is something we're going to really have to get our heads around. Well, I'd love to go into those details a bit later in this conversation, but let's talk about that transition and the speed of it. And you, you mentioned rooftop solar there, and it has been an extraordinary uptake over the last 10 years. We're now to the stage where I think in some states it's 34% of um, roof, available rooftops um, now have rooftop solar there. And in South Australia, it's contributing around about 10% or perhaps even more of their generation. Now, you made some really interesting forecasts um, for electric vehicles in that um, AGL Investor Day presentation. I mean, Australia has actually been dragging 
lagging behind the rest of the world in uptake of EVs for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but you're, you've got very quite, quite optimistic forecasts for the uptake of um, EVs. And if I remember rightly, I think you're forecasting that by 2030, one half of all new vehicle sales will be electric. Um, is, am, am I right in, in, in um, sort of quoting you on that? And um, what's going to be mm. driving that uptake? So, yeah, we we essentially looked at the at external forecast, to be honest. I mean, a lot of those numbers that you've referenced, that one is the energy um, mid-case forecast. Um, but I think it's valid. I think by, by 2030, we are going to see that level of penetration of electric vehicles. And um, it's true. Australia is embarrassingly behind the rest of the world. And so it's kind of, you can sit in Australia and think, well, that's never going to happen. But you only need to go overseas to see that actually in Norway, that is already the case. You know, I think they've got 58% of new electric vehicles um, last year. Um, sorry, 58% of new, new vehicles were, were electric. So it, it's happening internationally. Um, and why, why in Australia? I think once it hits, once we hit price parity at the dealer forecourt, um, and you can say maybe that's 2023, 2024, there's going to be a compelling reason for um, you and I to go and buy an electric vehicle because the cost of it at the forecourt is, good, is going to be so much cheaper. And then you get the cost of actually running that vehicle, um, you know, a third of the fuel cost and then perhaps half the maintenance cost. It's going to make economic sense for us to, um, to grab these things. So that's the first one, price parity. I think the second one is going to be um, the model range, right? So today there's the kind of Nissan Leaf available, and then there's the, the Tesla, and there's quite a big gap in the middle. Um, but again, you're seeing, um, I was just actually with the JAG team yesterday, and, and their um, you know, plan for, for vehicles to come through, Land Rover's plan for vehicles to come through, all of these kind of, you know, the main companies, they were all designing electric vehicles. So the model range is going to be, um, is going to be much more um, kind of playing to the needs of, of, of a broad consumer base. Um, and then the third thing is this kind of reluctance around and this nervousness, I guess, around charging. Um, but again, I think that will be solved. We're already seeing government and um, private enterprise starting to invest in public charging. It's not going to take much more to get that range anxiety um, you know, a thing of the past, um, especially if those vehicles can do slightly more. So, you know, mm. combine those three things together. I think the the sense of electric vehicles is just going to be um, completely obvious for the consumer. And yes, it could have happened a lot quicker with with government policy, as we've seen internationally. But even without it, I think we'll see we'll see this uptake. I guess you have to wonder, though, if um, if electric vehicles do reach, reach price, price parity around about 23, 24, 25, whatever that might be, you wonder why by 2030 um, people would be buying um, petrol or diesel vehicles apart from other sort of, you know, maybe niche, niche purposes. Yeah. yeah, I think that's, yeah, that is interesting. You're always going to get people saying that they they prefer what they can do. I think in Australia, the interesting test is is the Toyota Hilux equivalent. Of, a, of an electric vehicle. And when, um, you know, when the, the grey nomads and when those that are they're trailing their, um, their caravans around Australia are switching to electric vehicles, um, you know, the, and the standard kind of work vehicle switches, you know, who's, who's, why would you then buy um, an, an ICE engine? <laughs> I look forward to seeing the uh, the picture. I'm just trying to imagine of all the grey nomads going around in their cyber trucks, carrying their cyber caravans behind them. It's a fascinating but prospect. But it's the perfect model, right? It's the perfect model. You've got solar, 
you've got batteries in the van and then you've got a battery in the car. You kind of, you know, you just have this little ecosystem right there. You can just put on all these different sources of power. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. The other fascinating forecast I found from your presentation was about vehicle ownership. Now, we've actually talked to Tony Sieber from Stanford University in the past and he's sort of got this quite sort of, you know, bold vision about, you know, by 2030, you may not actually own your own car because of this cost of ownership that you're talking about, the fact that um, vehicles get electrified, the fact that they can be autonomous, the fact that they can be deployed in fleets um, and because they can be even deployed in fleets they are autonomous they can be used 23 hours a day that just brings down the cost of use down to um, very very low and you're also predicted in that uh, presentation that um, maybe only one third of people um, may be owning their own cars um, by 2030 can you just tell a bit more about what you're thinking about that yeah, I think this is the, we sometimes get so um, in the zone on electric vehicles, will we, won't we, when will we switch? But the the broader story on mobility and how that is already changing, how that will continue to, to transform our lives is um, is really interesting. And, um, you know, that, that number I quoted was uh, one in three, almost probably one in four. That's the Bloomberg New Energy forecast. But again, I think it's, I think it's valid because... Because why? We're already seeing um, that shift. So, you know, I'm a classic example. Uh, family, two kids, we've dropped from two cars down to one. I use Uber every morning to get to the station. This just feels like a far easier way for me to, to get about. So we're on that transformation journey. Um, and like you said, why it doesn't make much sense for us to have an asset, which is quite an expensive asset, sitting on our driveway for 95% of the time, only to be used for, for 5% of the time. Um, and as we're seeing technology improve and making it really easy and reliable to get these cars when we want them, um, that's just accelerating this whole shift to a shared ownership model rather than the um, private ownership model. And then the younger generation, right? They don't want to own cars. It's just phenomenal how they think this is just a crazy idea of, of, um, of wanting one. I think what's interesting in, in Australia is how will... Um, what will we see here versus what will we see in the rest of the world? So like in Asia, this is already a common thing, has been for years. Actually, very few people own their own cars. Um, in fact, that's an interesting one because car ownership is seen as um, a symbol of wealth. And so um, I was just in China a few weeks ago and how they jumping over that um, need to own a car and then moving into, into shared mobility more, um, being driven around. Um, but, you know, we, I think we'll see it in the major cities in Sydney and Melbourne. We'll see um, this move move a lot quicker. Obviously, it's more difficult in, in the rural areas. Um, and, yeah, like you said, electric vehicles accelerates it because of the cost equation. Um, and autonomous vehicles will, will probably do the same so that it will be much cheaper um, for us to have shared mobility rather than um, private ownership. So how then, with all these trends happening, does AGL see the future and its future? Now, you talked at the start of this um, interview about virtual power plants and um, how electric vehicles might sort of fit into that. Or, or perhaps you could explain um, how electric vehicles fit into that. And I just think for some of our listeners, well, I think we probably better start off by explaining exactly what is a virtual power plant um, and, and how that might work. Mm. So the first thing to say on electric vehicles before we get into um, a virtual power plant is the demand outlook for um, electricity in Australia is actually relatively flat. 
um, that's the only thing that's going to drive an uptake in demand is electrification, and the first wave of electrification is um, in vehicles. And so for a, a utility player, it's new load, right? And it's that new load is, is always going to be good for, for our business. But for us, it's more than that. Like you alluded to, it's um, we see electric vehicles as part of um, our virtual power plant, and AGL aspires to be the largest virtual power plant of multiple assets um, in, in Australia. And so what is a virtual power plant? Essentially, it is um, assets that are owned by our customers form part of this virtual power plant where we um, can extract more value from those assets by putting those assets into the wholesale market, um, by putting them into different value pools, and we then share those, um, that value back with the customer. And so a virtual power plant starts to change the dynamic and the relationship that we have with customers because if you think of Airbnb, you think of Uber, the value of that customer asset is worth so much more um, when, we can, when we can share that across the market. And that's, that's exciting for us because it means that we can have a kind of relationship with customers that is far more dynamic, far more interesting. So I can understand easily how that works with, say, rooftop solar and battery storage. Um, AGL may take some of the exports from the rooftop solar with batteries. You can probably control that a bit more. You can store things in them. You can draw down when needed to. There's even things such as demand management where, you know, if in a crisis in peak demand, then perhaps to for AGL to sort of respond to a market signal, it might even be able to switch off some not equipment that's not needed, for instance, you know, heating electric hot water or something mm. like that, or a pool pump or something like that. How would it work with an electric vehicle? Yeah, so this is the interesting thing. Um, AGL has, for the last three years, um, had a virtual power plant really in um, residential batteries. We're one of the first to start um, the virtual power plant um, concept in South Australia. And by the way, South Australia is quite advanced worldwide in this broader concept. And so we have a thousand batteries um, in South Australia. We've, we're, able to, um, and this, we're able to test a lot of this and figure out the kind of smarts that you need to essentially get more out of those batteries than what the consumer would ultimately get just through solar self-consumption. So if a consumer just gets a battery on their roof, really what they're doing um, is deferring their solar load to, to later in the day and the battery then offsets that and they can make better use of their own solar. But by putting it into a virtual power plant, you're able to, um, to get the wholesale value, potentially network value, potentially FCAS value. To be honest, the same is true for an electric vehicle. So we're thinking about an electric vehicle as a mobile battery in the same way as a residential battery. Um, and if you make some pretty bold assumptions on whether those vehicles can have vehicle-to-grid capability, the kind of forecasts I was talking about earlier in terms of both a home battery and a mobile battery, we could see around 7,000 megawatts in the system by 2030. And that is equivalent to 28 open-cycle gas turbines. So that means that you're starting to see that level of capacity behind the, um, behind the meter, which says, do you really need to have such a, um, a level in front of the meter? Um, and so where AGL comes into it, it says, well, we know how to trade those large assets. We do this as part of our day job. Um, we manage that wholesale market. And we think we can do the same on the customer's behalf for the assets that sit, um, sit behind the meter. 
Hmm. How then do you, so to, presumably to sort of draw on the resource of these mobile batteries, um, I mean, I guess they're mobile, but I guess I suppose they're not being driven, um, at least in private ownership, for 23 hours a day. So is the assumption then that these will be plugged in um, and maybe not being charging, but they're being plugged in at home or at work or wherever, and that's where you can actually draw on this asset? Yeah, so this is this then links to the question you're talking about earlier around shared mobility and how how shared mobility transition um, and how electric vehicles start to um, come into the market and the timing of each of these kind of broad um, broad changes. So today we know in Norway that 85% of the charging happens at home or in the office. Um, you know, there's more of a private model, private ownership model model there. Probably if we had that level of electric vehicles in Australia today, it would be the same. Most of us would charge at home or, or in the office. And so um, provided we've got smart charging, um, and that's that's a big provider, but provided we've got a smart charging technology that is economic for, for the consumer um, and for us, then that charging actually it can you can see it working in exactly the same way as a um, as a home battery it is essentially the customer would say you know I want to have this kind of reserve amount if I if I needed to um, get into my car and the rest you can um, you know you can place that asset into into the wholesale market <laughs> as we see shared mobility change um, and less of us are charging at home there's more of a kind of hub model almost back to the fuel station model, then we're going to have to see um, this kind of charging opportunity happen in a more of a public space for us to really see the interface between the grid and, um, and transport. And so it, I think it's going to change. I think it's going to start today at, at the home and in the office, and then it's going to move back into this kind of hub model. And where those hubs actually happen um, probably could be anywhere. And it will depend on, um, you know, who gets after fast charging, where, where those individuals see value um, and where, it, where it's most convenient to do so. But, you know, there's, there's no getting away from it. It is far more complex to really get this right. But the opportunity to get it right and to properly manage that level of capacity um, is, is huge, right? And so, like I said, I was in China two weeks ago. We visited um, State Grid, which is the, the network company there. And they were they, they now have China has nearly four million vehicles, electric vehicles. And State Grid have got the kind of control over more than one million charge points. And right. they're seeing at this stage of their development that the um, the impact on the network is starting to get quite significant. And they know that if they can if they can manage these vehicles properly, um, and it's an intelligent charge rather than just a fast charge, um, they can avoid um, kind of 90% of network costs. And, you know, in China, that's significant. In Australia, it's going to be significant. And yeah. so, you know, the opportunity for us to get this right um, is ultimately going to drive a lower price for the consumer and it's something we really have to get our heads around. That's right, yes. I think, um, you know, there, there's some fears raised that, oh, well, if everyone had an electric car and they all plugged in at the same time and peak demand when they get home at 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock in the evening and switch on the air conditioning at the same time, then it's going to be bad news for the grid. But um, that doesn't need to happen because of the opportunities for smart chargings, charging at home at other times, charging at work, as you say. Um, it's, it's interesting what you said about the, uh, the, the, the fleet management and shared mobility. It was uh, fascinating to hear the Australian energy market operator talk at the um, energy electric vehicle 
transition conference that we held in um, Sydney in August, and they were talking about this fascinating prospect sometime in the future in an era of shared mobility, and you're trying to get a car to get around Sydney somewhere, but it's the day of, you know, searing heat and, and soaring demand and high wholesale prices, and um, all the fleet operators have their cars plugged in and earning money there, and um, <laughs> not sitting them out. Everyone's the stranded. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and you know, people go, oh, really? You know, I don't know if I want that to happen. Um, and so, you know, that's I think it's a valid it's a valid concern we have to get to, and we have to make sure that it's com- that 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 ultimately consumers are incentivized to make those choices. And it doesn't have to be as scary as um, you know someone just says, well, um, we need all these um, these vehicles, so stop what you're doing, right? I think the choice can can always be be with the consumer on how you how you're actually going to mm. uh, manage this, and we're going to have technology. Um, we're going to have technology on our side, right? Are you ready to walk out your door and Google tells you how long it's going to take to get to where it knows you're going? And you think, oh, God, <laughs> how does it know? Of course, it's just following your patterns, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't so want Google to know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I might just, for the sake of it, go somewhere else this morning, but I'm not ready because that's exactly where I'm going. <laughs> Today I'm going to fool Google. Uh, but the same true, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wouldn't take much to line up your personal calendar um, with your needs for driving and then match the, the needs for the wholesale market. And you can start to see how you can dynamically and intelligently do this. We've got a little way to go, but I think the basics are there. They're in place. Mm. And we are seeing this internationally. I could see it in China, the, um, the oversight that they had on their broader grid and the, 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 the speed at which they could respond to kind of outages or network outages to fix this was just incredible. Gosh, yes. Um, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? Because, you know, electric vehicles change the thinking about the way you operate your, your car. For instance, if you go downhill, for instance, or if you're slowing down, you're regenerating. So actually putting energy back into the battery, actually. Um, um, I've actually got an electric vehicle now. So when I go down the hill to the nearest town to get a cup of coffee, I actually end, I actually, sort of, by the time I get my coffee, I've actually got more charge in the battery um, than I had when I left. So what we're also suggesting then is that electric vehicles don't become just a cost they actually become a revenue source because of what they can do together with the grid with the solar with the battery is that kind of the sort of the selling point that you're going to be using for the customers sometime down the track yeah i mean i think that so the you know the vehicle to grid the vehicle to home technology and the role the vehicle can play in powering your home and empowering the grid um, is it, it, it this 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 totally aligns with our thinking around a virtual power plant because it's it's probably through that lens of the vehicle actually powering the grid rather than just the smart charging of that vehicle, where we're really going to see um, a source of value come from these assets, which could be quite transformational, um, and no one no one knows exactly what that revenue stream might look like. It's early days across the whole um, the whole globe, to be honest. I mean, China, again, they were just talking about trials on vehicle-to-grid. I think there are a few internationally that are just starting um, to really understand how does it work for the particular network that it's in mm. and what are, the, you know, what are the kind of regulatory environments we'd need to see um, come through so that the true value of those assets actually gets, ultimately, gets handed back to, um, to the customer and it doesn't get stuck all along the way. Um, 
and 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 you see that kind of value leakage. It's fascinating though because we're talking about being in the early stage of this transition, but we're also talking about these forecasts for you know the level of electric vehicles, and the number of electric vehicles on the on the roads, and the level of um, ownership, and that's only ten years away. So you're actually starting to think that these business models will have to adapt very quickly. Things are going to have to change pretty fast, aren't they? Because the technology is going to move pretty quickly. That's not going to slow down. But how we adapt to that, how we take advantage of that, how businesses like yours reshape their business to, you know, to to sort of fit into this new world, how the consumers adapt and change the way they do things in the same way I guess they've done with mobile phones and the internet. It's um, it's all going to happen rather quickly. Yeah, I mean, I, I often joke. I think I've got the best uh, the best job in the company. It's for this reason because there are so many changes that we um, that we'd see, and the role of AGL and I, I've heard a few. We get kind of accused of being um, dinosaurs in this space, but the reality is that we are thinking, um, and 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 we've done enough um, trials and experiments in the virtual power plant kind of concept, especially through residential batteries. We've got some huge learnings from that, and we're generating insights that help customers manage those assets better. Um, and so, we. We think that we have a meaningful role to play um, in this as it, as it develops. But the question for Australia is: is how does it develop? When does it develop? And and at what point do we start to see this um, this dramatic um, exponential kind of growth? Because I, th- I honestly think that is what it's going to look like for electric vehicles. We're going to we're going to kind of putter along, and we're going to be way behind the rest of the world. And then very quickly, we'll see a huge kind of increase. And um, it's going to catch a lot of people unaware because it's going to change not just for the utility companies. It's going to change um, you know, a lot of different businesses all, all along the value chain. Well, it's interesting. And if we don't manage to catch up, then perhaps we can turn Australia into a bit of a theme park where people can come in and drive their petrol and diesel vehicles. And <laughs> <laughs> well, there, might, there might be a market for that. Or we could be positive, Giles, and we could say that perhaps Australia could kind of really learn from others around the world and we could leapfrog some of that technology and just jump on at the right time. That's right, yes. I guess it's whether, yes, that's sort of be the modern country or BQ, but I guess we'll find out how it all sort of turns out over the next 10 years. Um, Dominic, look, it's been a fantastic discussion. I really, um, um, well, I look forward to sort of, I'll be watching with interest um, what happens just with the uh, uptake of electric vehicles in Australia and um, more development of these virtual power plants and um, how AGL manages to... To fit in with um, all these new trends. And um, thank you very much for joining the Driven Podcast today. Thanks, Giles. Thanks for the invite. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by SolarEdge. SolarEdge EV chargers combine solar energy and grid power to charge your electric vehicle up to four times faster than a standard wall charger. Whether you own an EV now or want to be EV ready, future-proof your home with SolarEdge. Visit solaredge.com slash AUS and drive your solar further.